If I haven't met you, my name is Grant. I'm one of the teaching pastors here, and I need you to work with me. Crowd participation right from the beginning, okay? Fill in the famous duo. Ready? Batman and? Laurel and? Dumb and? Nice. Simon and? Perfect. Ren and? Itchy and? So, okay, stop on that one. Hold on. Just wait. So people are like, Ren and who? Like, ask a teenager. They'll tell you. Okay, right? Um, there we go. Sunny and? Try this one. Okay, now hold on that for a second. Bonnie and Clyde. Well done. Already? Beavis and? Stop right there. You should not say that word in church. Shame on you. That's crazy. All right. Let's try this next one. No. Think tools, black and decker. There we go. All right, let's keep going. All right, fish and? That's perfect. Next one. If you're a dude, you should not know this, okay? I'm just saying. Dolce and Gabbana. All right? Perfect. Ken and? Mario and? Adam and? Ernie and? How about this next one? Oh, boy, did we date you. Amos and Andy, all right? Here's this next one, right? Okay. If you know Cheech and Chong, we're so glad you're in church. That's good. Only a Christ the King. All right, anyway. And last one, Mary Ann. All right, so this weekend, we're getting ready to kind of head for the finish line of our God is series, and we're going to focus in on a famous biblical duo by the name of Joshua and Caleb, okay? I want to take you back to the original premise of the entire series. We pulled it from a quote from A.W. Tozer. What comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So this week, let's begin to think about this fill in the blank, okay? God is relentless. Relentless in pursuit and calling. Let me just explain that a little bit. So when we're far from God, the response of God is to relentlessly pursue us. Spurgeon called Jesus the hound of heaven, right? Because he pursues us. He pursues us, calling us back to him and relentlessly calling us into the purpose that he has for our life. So God calls these two guys, Joshua and Caleb, calls them into a relationship with him. And we know that because the Bible says both of these men, over and over, it uses this phrase. They followed the Lord their God wholeheartedly. And then he calls them to undertake a spy mission that involves scoping out the land that God had promised to the people of Israel. Famous story, right? Twelve spies go into the land and they bring two different reports. The group of ten come back to the people of Israel, spy out the land, and this is their report. Okay, so ten of them say this. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Let me give you some cultural context there. Milk of goats and honey of dates. You know the fruit, the date? Not milk of cows and honey of bees. Okay? Just cultural context so you understand we're talking Middle East. We're not talking Ohio. Okay, all right? He says that here is its fruit. But the people who live there are very powerful, and the cities are fortified very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, 
We should go up and take possession of that land. We can certainly do it. But the men who'd gone up with him, so here's the 10 talking again. We can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. So here's the report that these 10 out of 12 bring back. They basically come back and say, look, here's the deal. We went in there and there's a big obstacle. And the big obstacle is some very big people. So the conclusion is God is nuts and we are not going into that land. Okay? Now, don't judge their response unless you've batted a thousand when it comes to responding to everything that God has ever asked you to do. Otherwise, I think we can learn something from these people. Ten out of the twelve bring back a bad report. But two guys, Joshua and Caleb, go a completely different direction. Let's read from Scripture what their report was. The Bible says, Joshua, son of Nun. Okay, that does not mean he did not have parents, okay? It means his dad's name was Nun, N-U-N. Joshua, son of Nun, Caleb, son of Jepuna, who were among those who explored the land, tore their clothes. Middle Eastern culture, that's a sign of great grief. Okay, they're brokenhearted. And said to the entire Israelite assembly, The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into the land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Let's find out if you're listening. Milk of goats and honey of dates. There you go. Awesome. All right. And he will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. So Joshua and Caleb make a plea to the people. God is here. He's promised us this land. Therefore, we can go it, go into it. And let's go a little New Testament because if God is for us, who can be against us, right? The rest of the story gets tough because the people of Israel, their response to these two guys is we need to stone them. Okay, not Cheech and Chong stoning. Okay, just so we're clear, but throw rocks at them basically until they're dead. Okay. And at that point, we learn something about God that should scare some of us just a little bit. We find out that God has a problem with cowards. Because God actually says, fine, if you don't want to go into the land that I've already given you, then none of you will ever see it. You're never going to get to enter in except for two guys, Joshua and Caleb. Listen to the description of Caleb in Numbers. The book of Numbers, chapter 14, verse 24 says, But my servant Caleb has a different spirit. Not a spirit of fear. Not a spirit of what's going to happen to me. Not a spirit of what are people going to think about me if I go all out for God. No, no, no. He has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly. We're going to hear that word over and over again. God says, I will bring him into the land that he went into and his descendants will inherit it. Okay, I love that story, but that's not the focal point of the weekend. All right, that's just the backdrop. So now you know, how did Joshua and Caleb meet? Why did they begin to interact? Because they went on this mission together. Last week, I'm flipping through my Bible and I stumble across something. I'm sure I've seen it at some point before, but it was like it was brand new to me. I'm reading through the book of Joshua. I hit chapter 14 and it, it, it's not the most exciting chunk of Bible, okay? It's like a land contract, and they're saying, so-and-so got this land over here by the river, and so-and-so got these hills, and so-and-so got this little, you know, piece of parcel of land over here. And you're reading along going, okay, okay, okay. And it, it's good stuff to read if you're tired. You just kind of nod off, you know, and that's just what it is. And then in the center of all of this land division is this beautiful little golden nugget that I just tripped over top of. And here's what happens. Fast forward 45 years later. 
45 years, and two old friends meet up again. Caleb and Joshua. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine with their history what would happen if 45 years went by and all of a sudden who runs into each other again at this division of land? Two old buddies, Caleb and Joshua. Have you ever watched two old friends that haven't seen each other for many years reunite? Have you ever seen that? It's a cool thing. What's the first thing they start doing? They start telling stories, right? Do you remember when we did this? Do you remember that land? Do you remember it was just the two of us against them? Do you remember Caleb? It's like they get young all over again, and that connection is deep and profound. About eight years ago, I got to witness two World War II veterans who hadn't seen each other since the war. What bound them together is one of them had actually saved the other one's life in conflict, but then they hadn't seen each other. And decades later, I got to be there at this gathering of veterans when they saw each other for the very first time. It was crazy. I mean, these two old men walking through, it's like, it's like they got younger with every single step, kind of straightened up just a little bit, and it started with a handshake, and then it melted into a hug, and pretty soon there were tears, and then it was like the whole rest of the world disappeared, and they just started telling stories about the good old days. Unbelievable. So get that picture in your mind, okay? Here comes Joshua, here comes Caleb, and they start making this, having this conversation. The Bible tells us exactly what happens. Let me read scripture to you. Caleb starts talking. He says, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, here it comes again, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you followed the Lord my God, what? Wholeheartedly, right? Now, don't miss this because just picture him. Picture this 85-year-old grandpa, all right? And this is his testimony. This is what he says. He goes, now then, Just as the Lord promised, he's kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses, while Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old. Ask yourself whether this would be your testimony, or if you'd like it to be at 85. I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now you give me this hill country the Lord promised to me on that day. You yourself heard that the Anakites were there and the cities were large and fortified. But with the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, ever since because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel. What? Wholeheartedly. I'll tell you what, when I'm 85, I want to be like that, right? I want to be scrappy, tough. It's like I want to surrender a golf club and pick up a sword. I want to go, when I'm 85, I want to be picking a fight with somebody, right? I just love that guy. And then he describes to us. He actually demystifies a little phrase that we throw around in Christian circles all the time. I think sometimes we say it and we don't have a clue what we're talking about. Caleb describes perfectly what we would call a step of faith. Do we actually know what that is? Do we actually really understand what it means to step out of the natural 
into the supernatural and try and accomplish something that only God could pull off. Well, let's just walk it through together, all right? Let's answer the question, what is that? I put it in your outline this way. Because of the relentless pursuit of God at 85 years of age, Caleb is still taking a radical step of faith. And then I broke out what he said and how he describes it so that we can take it home and decide whether or not we actually have the courage to take a step of faith this week as well. Number one, any step of faith begins with the conviction that God is faithful. Okay, this is the problem with the Israelites who didn't want to go into the land. They were looking at the obstacle that was right in front of their face without reviewing the track record of the faithful God that had brought them to this place. Okay, in their, in their not so distant past, this was the same God that showed up in Egypt that brought the plagues to loosen the people of God and set them free. This is the same God that parted the Red Sea. This is the same God, you know, cloud by day, fire by night. He's the same God, and yet it happens to them, and it happens to us. We've got all of this amazing history that tells us how God and how much God is faithful, and then we run into an obstacle, and it's just like, I'm not going there. Why in the world would I ever go there? The obstacle looks imposing. And we, in that moment, we've got this amnesia thing that's happened, and we forget everything that God has ever done for us, and we submit to fear. So this is what Caleb does. He models it for us. When we take a step of faith, we plant that back foot, not just on our history of God's faithfulness, but all of history of God's faithfulness. We start there, and that's what allows us to push forward on that step of faith. We look back over all of history and see all of the amazing things that God has done, not just for us, but for everybody else. And that propels us forward. That's where we begin to make the declaration, God is faithful, God is protective, God is strong, God is able, and if God says, that's my land, that's my land. Number two. Any step of faith is rooted in trusting God's promise. Caleb had a promise. From 45 years earlier, God said, that land is going to belong to you. So he had a promise. God had a promise, and not that he was just going to inhabit any land, but specifically that particular land that he had been spying in. I love the the fact that because God said, Caleb, that's yours, Caleb just believed it was already his for the taking. That belongs to me because God said it belongs to me. Let me ask you a question. What has God promised you? Now be really, really careful because when I ask people what God has promised them, I'm amazed at the different kinds of answers that I get to that question. I mean, people often say, God promised me a Bentley, a home in the hills, and perfect children. And I'm like, what? I mean, I drive a 98 Honda. I live in Linden. Okay, leave that alone. All right. And And I have amazing children, but they're not perfect, right? I mean, I read my Bible, and the Bible actually doesn't say that I'm going to have all of this wonderful, smooth stuff. In fact, Scripture warns me. It says, in this world, you will have trouble. Aren't you glad you came to church, right? You will have trouble, but don't forget the end of the verse. It also says, but I have overcome the world. You know what that means? It means I don't have to overcome the world. God already has. And that's my inheritance. That's my inheritance. You know, I I talk to people. They say, God promised me when I became a Christian, it would be smooth sailing. I'm like, what alternative reality are you existing in, right? 
I mean, I read my Bible. It doesn't say anything about smooth sailing. It says a lot about storms and how God likes to go for casual strolls in the middle of storms and then speak to the storm and make the storm go quiet. I mean, that's the kind of God that I serve. So here's my encouragement to you. Before you claim one of God's promises, you better make sure it's actually his promise. I mean, the Bible says that God said, I will never leave you, forsake you. That means I have the promise of God's presence. The Bible says when I literally can't lift my head because I'm too exhausted, that God is the lifter of my head. That's a promise. The Bible promises me that God will be my rear guard, which means I don't need to worry about a sneak attack from behind because God's got my back. The Bible says that God says, I will overcome the world. You know what that means? It means I don't have to. I can rest in God's plan and purpose and move in the direction that he's called me to, but I don't bear that responsibility. God does for me. Let's keep going. Any step of faith taps into spiritual strength. I mean, I love it. Caleb at 85 years old, I'm as strong today as I've ever been, right? You know, we've got flexing, scrappy grandpa right there, you know? That's just Caleb saying, I am as strong today as ever. But Caleb is also living something out here. He knew a biblical principle before it was even written down. Caleb knew this to be true. It's not by might. That's the power of one. Nor by power. That's the power of an entire army. But by my spirit, says the Lord God of hosts. You say, what does that mean to me? It means this. If your step of faith can be accomplished in your own strength, it's not a step of faith. If you, can take this, if you can answer the step of faith by writing a check or just working a little harder or disciplining yourself somehow, that's not a step of faith. It's a step. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's not a step of faith. A step of faith requires a God-sized dream, a God-sized possibility, and a God-sized outcome. Let's keep going, all right? Any step of faith engages an enemy. I love that Caleb at 85 still wants to pick a fight. He's scrappy. My favorite scene from the movie Braveheart. You know, you've got Mel Gibson on the horse and he's talking to his friend with the scraggly red beard and he's ready to ride off and have a war council with this army that's on the other side of the hill. You remember that scene? And his friend says, William, where are you going? And Wallace turns back and he says, I'm going to go pick a fight. <laughs> to some of you in this room, your spiritual problem is you stop picking fights. And you've gotten comfortable and easy, and you just love the fact that your Christianity has been boiled down to a warm seat with a, co with a coffee cup holder. And as long as it doesn't go over 67 minutes, you're good. Ah, I got one guy with me, that's good. At some point, we just stop picking fights. And some of you are just like, oh, I, don't know, I don't know that whole idea about picking fights with the enemy. Grant, that sounds kind of scary. You know what? It is kind of scary. But God already told us how he feels about cowards. True? So think about it. Let's just break this down for a second. When I take a step of faith into generosity, let's just say I make a decision to be stupid with generosity, okay? Not, not lacking you know, not lacking wisdom, but I decide to step over a line and I actually decide I'm going to give to something until it literally hurts. What enemies am I engaging? I'll tell you what enemies you're going to engage. Greed and fear. And they're going to start talking to you and they're going to start asking questions. 
if you do that, what if God doesn't provide? What if you don't have enough? What if you end up on the short end of the stick? Oh, you better do nothing. Just do nothing. What if you were to take a step of faith and quit your job and literally go to the other side of the world to tell people about Jesus? What enemies would you be engaging? I'll tell you what, you would be engaging fear and insecurity. Because we're addicted to security in this country, aren't we? I mean, we just said we wear a helmet in the car with our seatbelt because like God forbid <laughs> that we would ever get hurt or run that kind of a risk, right? We want to bubble wrap our children so that nothing ever hurts them, right? And it's scary because we become so addicted to it. So we engage those moments. I mean, what type of engagement will we have at, the, at that area? It's just kind of like fear and insecurity. What if something happens? What if I get hurt? What if I get a bug bite, right? I, be I better do nothing. What if we made the decision to engage in conversation with someone at work that we know for a fact is antagonistic towards the God that we love? What enemy would I be engaging? Probably rejection. Possibly persecution. And right away those enemies start speaking to us. What if they laugh at you? What if they reject you? What if you end up eating lunch alone? You know what? You better just play it safe and stay comfortable and do nothing. According to Caleb, if you ever take a step of faith, you should anticipate opposition. Because you know who you're offending when you take a step of faith? <laughs> the enemy. That's who you're offending. And he doesn't want you to take that step forward, so he will encounter it with opposition. So we should anticipate the opposition, welcome the opposition, pray about the opposition, and understand the fact that if I choose to do nothing, I'm just guilty of the sin of omission. Let's keep going. How about this one? Any step of new faith takes new territory. So I asked the question again last week, why do we continue to, to make this church in Bellingham strategically smaller by starting new campuses? Why do we do that? And we told you the answer, right? Jesus. Because we believe that there should be a lighthouse in every neighborhood, in every community, where people can hear more and more and more about Jesus. The motivation for every new campus we've ever started is to take new territory for Jesus. And if you drive around this county, you'll see these little things showing up. Southside, Ferndale, North Bay, Linden, the Holy Smoke Tavern, up in, you know, up in the hills. I mean, Southside, Ecclesia, little pockets of believers all over the place. It's taking new territory for Jesus. Now, if you hang out here, you'll understand something. I will never ask you to do anything that I personally have not done or that we as a church are not trying to do. So some of you are just like, you're talking about taking a step of faith. What's your step of faith, Fishbuck? Come on, you're, you're with the leadership and all the rest of it. What's your step of faith? Well, let me tell you one we're working on right now, and then I'm going to ask you to pray about it because we're not sure if God wants us to do it or not, all right? So we've got this crazy group of young adults called Ecclesia, all right? bunch of worshiping Jesus freaks that get together on Friday nights at 7 at 9 at the Majestic downtown, which is very close to campus, so it's very convenient for students to be able to come to. Pastor Garrett Shelsta leads that group of people, and they're making a dent. I mean, they're making a dent in the darkness downtown. That's what they're doing. Over the last little while, the rent on the place where they have been meeting at and worshiping at has just been going up and up and up and up and up and up and up to the point where it's become cost prohibitive. And we're just like, where in the world are we going to put these guys? So we started praying, God, would you help us find another place that we could rent? We have scoured that downtown area. Guess what? There's nowhere else to rent that we can find. 
that works with the paradigm of ministry that we're doing. So we looked for a place to rent, couldn't find it. So we began to pray, God, we don't know what the option is. Here's what we know. Young adults need Jesus. And we got a group of people that want to make Jesus famous. So what do you want us to do? Where do you want us to put our foot into a step of faith? So through a series of God things, as only he can orchestrate, a piece of property had been sold downtown to another group, um, to another owner, and, 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 and we found out about it. And so we approached that person and said, we know you just bought it, but would you be willing to possibly sell it to us? The place is called Norway Hall, okay? It belonged to the Sons of Norway group, and they used to do fantastic pancake breakfasts on Saturday morning, right? Because Norwegian pancakes, that's good, all right? It had been bought by another person. We approached that person and said, look, we're looking for this kind of an opportunity. And and, and can I just be honest with you? It doesn't make a lot of sense. Getting Norway Hall would be a huge financial risk for us as a church. It's a huge territory risk. Because I'll tell you something. Whenever you step into new territory, that just ticks the enemy off. And he comes back against those kinds of moves. And so we're just asking... Do we want to pick that fight? Okay, now for the record, we did not pick a fight with the sons of Norway. Okay, all right? We're not scrapping Vikings downtown, all right? That's not even on the table, all right? But we've been praying as a leadership group. Do we want to put our foot into that new territory? I'll tell you something. It's not convenient right now. It's not even feasible right now. And it's just one of those things. But God just keeps opening doors and pushing and pushing and pushing. Here's what I can tell you. If we're actually going to do this, God's going to have to provide. God's going to have to provide. And I hate to break it to you, but he's going to have to use you to do it. Because I I can't bankroll it. I wish I could, but I can't, right? God's going to have to provide. So here's what I'm asking you to do. In about the next 10 days or so, We're going to find out whether or not this thing actually goes through or not. And this is how we've been praying. God, if you want us to put our foot in the middle of downtown, then you're going to have to open the door. And if this is not your will, slam the door because it means you've got something better for us. Here's what I'm asking you to pray. Would you please pray this with me all week long? If it's your will, make it so. If it's not, shut the door, please. Because we don't want to get in front of God, and we don't want to lag behind God. I mean, that's what we're asking God for right now. But for us, this is a huge step of faith. You know, our, our, our food bank is kind of north here. And just in the last like couple of days, we found out we've got about 60 days to figure out we've got to relocate our food bank. Because the rent in that particular area it, it could potentially triple. And so it's just like, okay, well... Is God telling us to take the food bank downtown? I don't know. Just like, you know, believe it or not, I do not have a bat phone to heaven in my office, right? (laughs) I do the same thing you guys do. I get on my face and say, God, what do you want? Would you pray with us about this step of faith? But I wanted to show you, we're dreaming the same kind of dreams. And I'm not 85. I don't know about you, but the thought of going downtown... I think we need to pick a fight, but we need to be in line with what God wants us to do. Here's the last one. Any step of faith demonstrates I followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. You know, I've looked back over the years, and 
in those few moments, I wish there were so many more, in those few moments when I've taken a step of faith, I'm a naturally risk-aversive person. I like it predictable. I like it methodical. I'm conservative when it comes to these kinds of things. But in those bright, shining moments, when I actually believed that I could take a step of faith, I began to learn something about how one of the markers of knowing when you're following God wholeheartedly, and the marker is this. Other people think you're nuts. They're just like, that doesn't make any sense. You're doing what? You're doing what? Let me tell you about a conversation I had this past week. So I got a call from my friend because he was back in town. His name is Kim Ryan. Some of you know Kim, Pastor Kim. Kim was the pastor of North County Christ the King. Ever since the day they planted that church, he grew it to several thousand people. And then earlier this year, he made the decision to step away from North County Christ the King because he wanted to become a global pastor. I remember asking him, Kim, what's a global pastor? He goes, I have no idea. I'm going to figure it out. So he left the regular paycheck, the regular work of working in North County, because if you know Kim, Kim was called to the nations of the world years ago. And if you know Kimberly Orion, you know he loves to go pick a fight for Jesus. And I'm sitting there having coffee with him at Woods and Linden, and he's glowing. His face, he's just lit up. I said, what have you been up to? He said, just got back from India. I preached in what you would call a carport. They call it a church. 175 people there, most of whom had never heard the name of Jesus ever before. And I got a chance to talk about Jesus with them for the very first time. And he's just, if you know Kim, it's like he's going to spontaneously combust at any second. He goes, Grant, I was born for this. I was born for this. And then he starts talking about what life would look like if we were willing to take a step of faith like that and go where God's, where only God would want to take somebody. And I'm looking at the passion that's in him, and to be honest, I'm just a little envious. Because I'm looking at him and I'm going, your name may be Kim, but I should probably call you Caleb. That's Kim's step of faith. What's yours? If you can do it in your own strength, it's not a step of faith. I put room in your outline. I wonder if you're courageous enough to actually write down a God-sized idea or a God-sized call that you know is already on your life. And I would ask you the question, does your step of faith follow the model of Caleb? You know, my step of faith is to emerge with a pulse from Costco. <laughs> wow, good on you, right? Don't forget what we've learned. Is your step of faith founded on God's faithfulness? Not just your history, but world history. Is your step of faith rooted in God's promise of what God wants to accomplish here in Whatcom County? Is your step of faith tapping into God's strength or are you just relying on your own? Is your step of faith going to engage or pick a fight with an enemy? Is your step of faith going to take some new territory that you've never gone into before? Will your step of faith demonstrate that you follow the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly? If it doesn't meet that criterion, it's not a step of faith. It may be a very positive life step. 
But a step of faith is bigger than you can do on your own. A step of faith is what takes an 85-year-old grandpa to conquer a land with an attitude of, I'll take people with me, but if you don't want to go, I'll go by myself. That's faith. So maybe your step of faith is generosity. Maybe. Maybe God's calling you to change careers because He gave you a dream when you were 17 years old. You lost it somewhere along the line in your mid-20s and you've never been happy since. Maybe God's calling you to change it up and go back to the calling that He placed on your life all those years ago. After last night, let me throw this one on the table. Maybe God is calling you to leave an abusive relationship. That takes some courage. Because maybe you've just figured out that as a daughter or a son of God, it's not okay for you to have to live in fear of being hit. Because you're more precious than that. Maybe your step of faith is to believe that God can and still will heal you. Maybe your step of faith is to stay in and fight for a marriage that's worth fighting for. Maybe your step of faith is to go back to school. Maybe it's to leave an addiction behind once and for all. Maybe this is simple. Maybe it's for you to actually step into biblical community and join a small group, not because of what you'll get out of it, but for, because of what you may be able to give somebody else. Maybe it's volunteering somehow even though you're completely stretched. Maybe some of you need to strategically and in a God-honoring way quit a whole bunch of stuff so you can have enough margin in your life to actually take your step of faith. I don't know what your step of faith is. But I wanted to give you an opportunity to actually write it down. See, I, we get these little buzzes at church, right? It's just like, oh, that was awesome. That was awesome. Mike sang some hymns. That was awesome, right? That was so good. Love church. Grant gave us a little box. It was cool. I'm not going to write anything in it. That'd be scary, but, you know, remember what God says about cowards? We have these little buzzes, and then what do we do? We start thinking. It's 87 degrees outside. Forget church. Let's just go do our thing. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you a moment to write down whatever your step of faith is. I'm going to ask Pastor Mike if he'll come back. Mike has a beautiful gift, not only in leading worship, but also singing blessing. He does it with our staff a lot of the time, and it's just a beautiful thing. So Mike is going to come. He's going to sing over you, and I'm going to ask you to consider an act of unbelievable courage to actually write down a step of faith that you believe in your heart God is calling you to take. Mike is going to sing, and then I'm going to come and wrap up our time together. So let's just take a few moments and hear what it is that God may be saying to all of us. May the spirit of Caleb rest on you during this time.